Matthew records that Jesus was actually quoting the prophet. Okay, so Asaph does have the gift of prophecy. Now, he wrote Psalm 83. Psalm 83 is a little bit different than the typical psalm. It's called, uh, technically, it's called an imprecatory prayer, meaning that he is praying to God and calling down God's vengeance on Israel's enemies. And uh, David was another one that wrote imprecatory psalms. Now, Psalm 83 describes a war, and for many years, Psalm 83 was not recognized as being prophetic in terms of the end times. One of the reasons for that is that uh, Israel didn't come back into the land as a nation until 1948. Okay, so before anything could happen prophetically in terms of end times prophecy, you had to have Israel back in the land. So that's number one. Number two, the enemies of Israel that are listed here in Psalm 83, they didn't come into existence until about the same time. Uh, these countries that surround Israel, that their borders touch Israel, became nations uh, from roughly 1923 until 1956. So it wasn't until 1956 that you could actually lay all this out uh, and see how it would work. Now, in studying end times prophecy, uh, one of the things that you will find is that there are nine wars listed in prophecy for the end times, nine different wars. Now, only two of them happen before the tribulation begins. So Psalm 83 is one of them. The other one is the Battle of Gog, the War of Gog and Magog, which is in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We're going to take a look at that in just a minute. Now, what was interesting about this uh, prophecy in Psalm 83, have you turned there? I was talking and forgot to turn there. Let's just uh, go ahead and read uh, the first few verses of this. Uh, Asaph says, Oh God, do not keep silent. Be not quiet, O God. Be not still. See how your enemies are astir and how your foes raise their heads, rear their heads, I'm sorry. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Yeah. yeah. yeah not, not too vaguely, because <laughs> it's happening right now. And it goes, he goes on to say, uh, with one mind, they plot together, they form an alliance against you. Okay, so Asaph is saying, God, we've got these enemies. Now, as we list these enemies, these are all groups, people groups that you've heard of before. And they have all been enemies of Israel. If you read the book of Judges, Judges brings all these nations into focus one at a time and different judges would handle the situation. Uh, the most familiar one probably is Gideon. Uh, Gideon fighting the Midianites, okay, with his 300. We're going to hit them in just a second. But all these nations that are going to be listed, thank you, Ed, are nations that have been Israel's enemies, but now what they're doing in Asaph's prayer, they are all conspiring together at one time to attack Israel. And he starts listing the nations. And if you were watching uh, a movie about this, when the credits roll, who's going to be at the head of the list? Who, who's always top billing in the credits in the movie? The, the star? Can you say the star? <laughs> this isn't hard, guys. Come on. The star of the movie. The stars are listed in order and given credit for it. And it's the same thing here. Who's the first one in the credits here? It's Edom. Today, uh, they are represented by the Palestinians. Now, you want to ask, how do we know who these people groups are and, and why do we know where they ended up and that they are who they are today. And that's a combination of pairing scripture with scripture. And if you follow scripture with scripture, then you can see where they ended up. And the other thing is, 
We've got ancient history like Josephus, the, uh, the Jewish prophet uh, in the first century, recorded a lot of these things. And then today even uh, regular history, everyday history that you learn in school has a record of these people groups and where they ended up. And so it starts with Edom. The tents of Edom. Now, notice that none of the other enemies of Israel are listed as what kind of habitation they have. Uh, Edom is the only one. The tents of Edom. The tents of Edom is significant because, number one, they spent an awful lot of time in their early history living in tents. Uh, They were nomadic people. They ended up in Jordan. They ended up in the, uh, let me get my directions right, in the southwestern portion of Jordan. That is ground that became what we call today the West Bank, the West Bank of Israel. Okay. Now, where did they live in Jordan? Uh, that's a very interesting story. They lived in the area of Petra. Everybody remember what Petra is, what it looks like, and so on and so forth? Remember the Indiana Jones movie? Uh, about the Holy Grail, okay, and uh, toward the end of the movie you see Indy and the guys riding horses through a very narrow canyon that that went up straight up and it was extremely narrow. You could only ride maybe two horses next to each other. That was the city of Petra and so at some point in time the Edomites went there and basically beat up on the people that founded Petra and threw them out. Now we're going to look a little bit if we have time uh, at what happened there, that exact story, and why God is is so displeased with the Edomites. The Edomites uh, are have more of God's vengeance spelled out in Scripture than any other nation. The Edomites are constantly uh, under attack in, in terms of their future from God's point of view. Uh, now, one of the things that Psalm 83 does... Uh, is it answers some questions for us that were always a big mystery. If you were a student of uh, end times prophecy, there would be a huge gap in the prophecy. Uh, Turn to Ezekiel 38. We're going to be coming back to, to Psalm 83, but take a look at Ezekiel chapter 38 for a second. And this is the beginning of the Battle of Gog and Magog. And this battle, uh, I think I said a few minutes ago, uh, there are two battles that happen before the tribulation begins. Uh, Now, what that means to us is, it's possible that we will be here to witness both of these battles. We can't say for sure because we don't know when the rapture is going to happen. The rapture is imminent, could happen at any moment. However, uh, if we live until this battle is done, we will have seen two of these battles. Uh, I should clear this up before I go any further. I am not saying that what's happening in Israel right now is absolutely the Psalm 83 war. We're not in a position to know that at this point in time. How will we know it? if? Israel beats the heck out of Hamas uh, and basically puts Hamas out of business and then everything settles down and we go on living our lives. That wasn't the Psalm 83 war, okay? You have to have all of the players involved. Now, is it possible that we're going to see all the rest of the players involved? Uh, Absolutely, because we've already seen two other countries start to become involved. Lebanon in the north, Uh, The group is Hezbollah there, the the terrorist group. And see, that's one of the interesting things about these nations that surround Israel is while they all have some form of government, some form of official government going on, they've all got a terrorist group that really tends to run things, okay? So Lebanon uh, has got Hezbollah. And the next country over, uh, what was the really well-known terrorist group from Syria? ISIS. ISIS, okay? 
and you keep on going, and they all have some terrorist group that's involved. Now, the terrorist group in Lebanon and Syria, both of those countries to the north of Israel, have started acting up. Now, Lebanon, it's not unusual for, for Lebanon to be shooting rockets into Israel, just like Hamas does all the time. Syria, um, that gets a little more serious. That's where we have been, our soldiers have been attacked 50 times. <clears throat> Uh, in the last, uh, and that's, once again, that's, that's a terrorist group that's, that's kicking up a little bit. So it's not going to take too much, and especially with the world's opinion. Uh, I don't know about you, I have been startled to see the hatred of Israel uh, coming back to the surface. I mean, it, obviously it's always been there, but it's been, you know, underground. It's been very quiet. Every once in a while, some lunatic will go shoot up a, a Jewish temple or something, but uh, the, the absolute <coughs> hatred that is being shown and supported by colleges and universities in this country. I mean, it's just amazing. It's going on all over the world. Last weekend in Washington, D.C., they had a pro-Palestinian demonstration. Over 100,000 people marched to the White House demanding uh, that Biden put a stop to the war. And meanwhile, they're chanting, uh, from the river to the sea, it's from the Jordan to the, to the Mediterranean, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And basically, uh, if that's gonna happen, what's, what's that mean? It means no more Israel. They're going to wipe Israel off the map. Now, isn't that exactly what was said in Psalm 83? Okay, in Ezekiel 38, here's, here's the problem that was facing students of end times prophecy. In the battle of Gog and Magog, which God lays out in great detail, and we're going to, we're going to study it, Lord willing, in the, in the next couple of weeks. But in this prophecy, it clearly says, now, now God is calling out Gog and Magog, and we're going to get into who all these players are. <clears throat> But look at verse 7. It says, uh, 38.7, Ready, be prepared, you and all the hordes gathered about you, and take command of them. After many days, you will be called to arms. In future years, you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been desolate. They've been brought out from the nations, and now all of them live in safety. You and all your troops and the many nations with you will go up advancing like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. And this is what the sovereign Lord says. And if you skip over to uh, verse 11, you will say, I will invade a land of unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars, and I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against that resettled, against my, the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations, rich in livestock and goods, living in the center of the land. Now, follow this thinking a minute. This battle of Gog and Magog has Israel, number one, it says recovered from war, okay? Number two, it says living in peace and safety, living in unwalled villages, okay, and being very prosperous. Which one of those things is true at the moment? Israel's very prosperous. You can't call it living in safety. Since 2005, uh, approximately 125,000 rockets have been fired into Israel. 2005. Now, Israel's about the size of New Jersey. If you're living in a situation where over the course of however many years that is, 2005, you, you've had 125 25,000 rockets rain down on your country. Can you say you're living in peace and safety? Here's a question for you. How many of you own a gas mask? Every citizen in Israel is given a gas mask by the government, including small children and infants. They've developed a technology where infants can wear. Now, why does every citizen get a gas mask in Israel? Uh, one of the things that every neighborhood has to have is a bomb shelter. And here's 
you want to calculate how many bomb shelters they have in Israel? Here's the way to figure it out. And I'm kidding about figuring it out. But the rule is, and it's it's a regulation, actually a regulation. If, if you don't follow it, that's on you because you probably get killed. But you have to be able to get from your home into your nearest bomb shelter within three minutes of the sirens going off. Now, would you call that living in safety? Israel is not right now living in a situation where they have recovered from war. They are not living in safety and security in unwalled villages. Israel has a wall or a fence along every border with every neighbor that they share a border with. The security there is extremely tight. Uh, those of you that have been to Israel uh, know that, for instance, if you go to Bethlehem, you have to go into the Palestinian territory, you have to go into the West Bank, and you have to go through a checkpoint. And there are machine gun towers, and the, the guys who are checking you over to decide whether to let you in or not are carrying automatic weapons. Uh, and it's, it's actually a little tense going to see the town of Bethlehem. So Israel is not living in safety and security, recovered from war, and, and living a very happy, pleasant life. Okay? Now, Psalm 83 comes along. Now, when, when you put Psalm 83 into the picture, Psalm 83 uh, does not say, uh, Asaph did not prophesy an actual war happening and prophesy the results of the war. He is simply praying, God... Your enemies are astir. They are pointing up. They are becoming a confederation, all to do one thing, to wipe Israel's name off the map. And so he's praying. And what's he praying? Well, I'll tell you what he's praying. Uh, in Psalm 83, uh, he, he goes and lists some battles that Israel has fought in the past. And what he's saying is, God, when this confederation happened, when these nations all get together and say, we're going to wipe Israel out from the river to the sea, uh, make them like some of the enemies that we have fought in the past. And the illustrations that he give all involve the Israeli Defense Force, all involve Israel's army. Now, some of the times when Israel's army was involved, uh, you know it was God. The story of Gideon. Gideon whittles his guys down to 300 men and they defeat the Midianites. Uh, so the illustrations that Asaph is praying about is God do it like you have done and he lists three different occasions where God through the Israeli army defeated their enemy and so when you put that into this picture okay uh, will Israel be living in peace and safety if all of these enemies have been wiped out absolutely okay because now they will have clean borders no enemies living around them. Now, let me point this out. It does not mean that all the civilians are going to be wiped out. We're talking about basically getting rid of the military opposition. One of the other things that this does, this map doesn't really show it, but and I suggested last week that you might want to take a picture of this side of the map with your camera because in the future it's going to help to know who these countries are and where they're located. But if Israel wipes out Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia and Egypt, one of the things that that does is suddenly Israel will own the promised land that God gave them. Because if you read in Genesis chapter 15, where God, the very end of Genesis 15, God says, this is what I'm going to give you. And God says, from the river in Egypt, there's the Nile, splitting Egypt in half, from the river in Egypt to the Euphrates, okay? And so basically, if you went like this, drew a line like this, that's what Israel's going to own. Now, it's too far, you're too far away to see. See this little green spot right here? That's Israel. See how much territory it is? Size of New Jersey, okay? So if God, through this Psalm 83 war, wipes out all of their contiguous neighbors, the military, then they will actually own what God said, I'm giving you. They've never owned it up until now.